Chapter Six of When Knighthood Was in Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When Knighthood Was in Flower by Charles Major. Chapter Six: A Rare Ride to Windsor. The princess knew her royal brother. A man would receive quicker reward for inventing an amusement or a gaudy costume for the king than by winning him a battle. Later in life the high road to his favour was in ridding him of his wife and helping him to a new one. A dangerous way, though, as Wolsey found to his sorrow when he sank his glory in poor Anne Boleyn. Brandon took the hint and managed to let it be known to his play-loving king that he knew the latest French games. The French Duc de Longueville had for some time been an honoured prisoner at the English court, held as a hostage from Louis the Twelfth. but de Longueville was a blockhead who could not keep his little black eyes off our fair ladies, who hated him, long enough to tell the juice of spades from the ace of hearts. So Brandon was taken from his duties, such as they were, and placed at the card table. This was fortunate at first, for being the best player, the king always chose him as his partner, and, as in every other game, the king always won. If he lost, there would soon be no game, and the man who won from him too frequently was in danger at any moment of being rated guilty of the very highest sort of treason. I think many a man's fall under Henry the Eighth was owing to the fact that he did not always allow the king to win in some trivial matter of game or joust. Under these conditions, everybody was anxious to be the king's partner. It is true he frequently forgot to divide his winnings, but his partner had this advantage at least. There was no danger of losing. That being the case, Brandon's seat opposite the king was very likely to excite envy, and the time soon came, Henry having learned the play, when Brandon had to face someone else, and the seat was too costly for a man without a treasury. It took but a few days to put Brandon's hors de combat financially, and he would have been in a bad plight had not Wolsey come to his relief. After that he played and paid the king in his own coin. This great game of honour and rough occupied Henry's mind day and night during a fortnight. He feasted upon it to satiety, as he did with everything else. Never having learned not to cloy his appetite by overfeeding, so we saw little of Brandon while the king's fever lasted, and Mary said she wished she had remained silent about the cards. You see, she could enjoy this new plaything as well as her brother, but the king, of course, must be satisfied first. They both had enough eventually. Henry in one way, Mary in another. One day the fancy struck the king that he would rebuild a certain chapel at Windsor, so he took a number of the court, including Mary, Jane, Brandon, and myself, and went with us up to London, where we lodged overnight at Bridewell House. The next morning, as bright and beautiful a June day as ever gladdened the heart of a rose, we took horse for Windsor, a delightful seven-league ride over a fair road. Mary and Jane travelled side by side with an occasional companion or two, as the road permitted. I was angry with Jane, as you know, so did not go near the girls. And Brandon, without any apparent intention one way or the other, allowed events to adjust themselves and rode with Cavendish and me. We were perhaps forty yards behind the girls, and I noticed after a time that the Lady Mary kept looking backward in our direction as if fearing rain from the east. I was in hopes that Jane too would fear the rain, 
but she would have sworn her neck was stiff, so straight ahead did she keep her face. We had ridden perhaps three leagues, when the princess stopped her horse and turned in her saddle. I heard her voice, but did not understand what she said. In a moment someone called out, Master Brandon is wanted. So that gentleman rode forward and I followed him. When we came up with the girls, Mary said, I fear my girth is loose. Brandon at once dismounted to tighten it, and the others of our immediate party began to cluster around. Brandon tried the girth. My lady, it's as tight as the horse can well bear, he said. It's loose, I say, insisted the princess with a little irritation. The saddle feels like it. Try the other. Then turning impatiently to the persons gathered around, does it require all of you standing there like gaping bumpkins to tighten my girth? Ride on. We can manage this without so much help. Upon this broad hint, everybody rode ahead while I held the horse for Brandon, who went on with his search for the loose girth. While he was looking for it, Mary leaned over her horse's neck and asked, Were you and Cavendish setting all the philosophical points now in dispute that you found him so interesting? Not all, answered Brandon, smiling. You were so absorbed, I suppose it could be nothing short of that. No, replied Brandon again, but the girth is not loose. Perhaps I only imagined it, returned Mary carelessly, having lost interest in the girth. I looked toward Jane, whose eyes were bright with a smile, and turned Brandon's horse over to him. Jane's smile gradually broadened into a laugh, and she said, Edwin, I fear my girth is loose also. As a Lady Mary's was? I asked, unable to keep a straight face any longer. Yes, <laughs> answered Jane with a vigorous little nod of her head and a peal of laughter. Then drop back with me, I responded. The princess looked at us with a half-smile, half-frown, and remarked, Now you doubtless consider yourselves very brilliant and witty. Yes, returned Jane maliciously, nodding her head in emphatic assent, as the princess and Brandon rode on before us. I hope she's satisfied now, said Jane, sotto voce to me. So you want me to ride with you? I replied. Yes, Jane nodded. Why? I asked. Because I want you to, was the enlightening response. Then why did you not dance with me the other evening? Because I did not want to. Short but comprehensive, thought I, but a sufficient reason for a maiden. I said nothing, however, and after a time Jane spoke. The dance was one thing, and riding with you is another. I did not wish to dance with you, but I do wish to ride with you. You are the only gentleman to whom I would have said what I did about my girth being loose. As to the new dance, I do not care to learn it, because I would not dance it with any man but you, and not even with you. Yet. This made me glad, and coming from coy, modest Jane meant a great deal. It meant that she cared for me, and would some day be mine, but it also meant that she would take her own time and her own sweet way in being one. This was comforting, if not satisfying, and loosened my tongue. Jane, you know my heart is full of love for you. Will the universe crumble? She cried with the most provoking little laugh. Now that sentence was my rock ahead, whenever I tried to give Jane some idea of the state of my affections. It was a part of the speech which I had prepared and delivered to Mary in Jane's hearing, as you already know. I had said to the princess, 
The universe will crumble and the heavens roll up as a scroll ere my love shall alter or pale. It was a high-sounding sentence, but it was not true, as I was forced to admit, almost with the same breath it spoke it. Jane had heard it, and had stored it away in that memory of hers, so tenacious in holding on to everything it should forget. It is wonderful what a fund of useless information some persons accumulate and cling to with a persistent determination worthy of a better cause. I thought Jane would never forget that unfortunate, abominable sentence spoken so grandiloquently to Mary. I wonder what she would have thought had she known that I had said substantially the same thing to a dozen others. I never should have won her in that case. She does not know it yet, and never shall if I can prevent. Although dear Jane is old now, and the roses in her cheeks have long since paled, her grey eyes are still there with their mischievous little twinkle upon occasion, and, in fact, Jane can be as provoking as ever when she takes a fancy, for she is as sure of my affection now as upon the morning of that rare ride to Windsor. Aye, surer, since she knows that in all these years it has changed only to grow greater and stronger and truer in the fructifying light of her sweet face and the nurturing warmth of her pure soul. What a blessed thing it is for a man to love his wife and be satisfied with her, and to think her the fairest in all the world, and thrice happy is he, who can stretch out the sweetest season of his existence, the days of triumphant courtship through the flying years of all his life, and then lie down to die in the quieted ecstasy of a first love. So Jane halted my effort to pour out my heart, as she always did. There is something that greatly troubles me, she said. "'What is it?' I asked in some concern. "'My mistress,' she answered, nodding in the direction of the two riding ahead of us. "'I never saw her so much interested in any one as she is in your friend, Master Brandon. "'Not that she is really in love with him as yet, perhaps, but I fear it is coming, and I dread to see it. "'She has never been compelled to forego anything she wanted, and her desires are absolutely imperative.' They drive her, and she is helpless against them. She would not and could not make the smallest effort to overcome them. I think it never occurred to her that such a thing could be necessary. Everything she wants, she naturally thinks is hers by divine right. There has been no great need of such an effort until now, but your friend Brandon presents it. I wish he were at the other side of the world. I think she fears that she ought to keep away from him before it's too late, both for his sake and her own but she is powerless to deny herself the pleasure of being with him, and I do not know what is to come of it all. That incidence of the loose girth is an illustration. Did you ever know anything so bold and transparent? Anyone could see through it, and the worst of all is that she seems not to care if everyone does see. Now look at them ahead of us. No girl is so happy riding beside a man unless she is interested in him. She was dull enough until he joined her. He seemed in no hurry to come, so she resorted to the flimsy excuse of the loose girth to bring him. I'm surprised that she even sought the shadow of an excuse, but did not order him forward without any pretense of one. Oh, I do not know what to do. It troubles me greatly. Do you know the state of his feelings? No, I answered. But I think he is heart whole, or nearly so. He told me he was not fool enough to fall in love with the king's sister, and I really believe he will keep his heart and head, even at that dizzy height. He's a cool fellow, if ever there was one. He certainly is different from other men, returned Jane. 
i think he has never spoken a word of love to her he has said some pretty things which she has repeated to me has moralized to some extent and has actually told her of some of her faults i should like to see any one else take that liberty she seems to like it from him and says that he inspires her with higher better motives and a yearning to be good but i am sure he's made no love to her perhaps it would be better if he did it might cure her i replied oh no no not now at first perhaps but not now what i fear is that if he remains silent much longer she will take matters in hand and speak herself i don't like to say that it, it doesn't sound well but she's a princess and it would be different with her from what it would be from an ordinary girl she might have to speak first or there might be no speaking from one who thought his position too far beneath hers she whose smallest desires drive her so will never forego so great a thing as the man she loves only for the want of a word or two then it was that jane told me of the scene with the note of the little whispered confidence upon their pillows and a hundred other straws that showed only too plainly which way this worst of ill winds was blowing with no good in it for any one now who could have foretold this it was easy enough to prophesy that brandon would learn to love mary and come off crestfallen as all other men had done but that mary should love brandon and he remain heart whole was an unlooked-for event one that would hardly have been predicted by the shrewdest prophet what lady jane said troubled me greatly as it was but the confirmation of my own fears her opportunity to know was far better than mine but i had seen enough to set me thinking brandon i believe saw nothing of mary's growing partiality at all he could not help but find her wonderfully attractive and interesting and perhaps it needed only the thought that she might love him to kindle a flame in his own breast but at the time of our writer windsor charles brandon was not in love with mary tudor however near it he may unconsciously have been he would whistle and sing and was as light-hearted as a lark i mean when away from the princess as well as with her a mood that does not go with a heart full of heavy love of impossible fatal love such as his would have been for the first princess of the first blood royal of the world but another's trouble could not dim the sunlight in my own heart and that ride to windsor was the happiest day of my life up to that time even jane threw off the little cloud our forebodings had gathered and chattered and laughed like the creature of joy and gladness she was now and then her heart would well up so full of the sunlight and the flowers that the birds in the hedge ay and of the contagious love in my heart too that it poured itself forth in the spontaneous little song which thrills me even now ahead of us were the princess and brandon every now and then her voice came back to us in a stave of song and her laughter rich and low wafted on the wings of the soft south wind made the glad birds hush to catch its silvery note it seemed that the wild flowers had taken on their brightest hue the trees their richest sabbath day green and the sun his softest radiance only to gladden the heart of mary that they might hear her laugh the laugh would have come quite as joyously had the flowers been dead and the sun black for flowers and sunlight south wind green pastures and verdant hills all were riding by her side poor mary her days of laughter were numbered we all rode merrily on to windsor 
and when we arrived it was curious to see the great nobles buckingham both the howards seymour and a dozen others stand back for plain charles brandon to dismount the fairest maiden and the most renowned princess in christendom it was done most gracefully she was but a trifle in his strong arms and he lifted her to the sod as gently as if she were a child the nobles envied brandon his evident favour with this unattainable mary and hated him accordingly but they kept their thoughts to themselves for two reasons first they knew not to what degree the king's favour already marked with the help of the princess might carry him and second they did not care to have a misunderstanding with the man who had cut out adam judson's eye we remained at windsor four or five days during which time the king made several knights brandon would probably have been one of them as everybody expected had not buckingham related to henry the episode of the loose girth and adroitly poisoned his mind as to mary's partiality at this the king began to cast a jealous eye on brandon his sister was his chief diplomatic resource and when she loved or married it should be for henry's benefit regardless of all else brandon and the lady mary saw a great deal of each other during this little stay at windsor as she always had some plan to bring about a meeting and although very delightful to him it cost him much in royal favour he could not trace this effect to its proper cause and it troubled him i could have told him the reasons in two words but i feared to put into his mind the thought that the princess might learn to love him as to the king he would not have cared if brandon or every other man for that matter should go stark mad for the love of his sister but when she began to show a preference he grew interested and it was apt sooner or later to go hard with the fortunate one when we went back to greenwich brandon was sent on a day ahead End of chapter six